Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Sex. Marriage, politics, business, philosophy, dating, parenting, divorce, lawsuits, head coverings, gender issues, roles in marriage, miracles, tongues. What? Yeah. First Corinthians. First Corinthians. If you would, open up your Bible to First Corinthians. Today we begin a brand new study. We are going to work our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians, just realize this is a a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And as you're turning there, let let me give you a little bit of background so we understand what what it is that we're we're stepping into here. This church, this city, uh, was a place where immorality was just rampant. Like, it, it, it was everywhere. It was the kind of culture where everybody gets to do what they want to do, and nobody really has a say in what they're doing. A lot like our culture right now. Uh, you do you. Nobody gets the opportunity to say, whoops, that's wrong. Uh, everybody gets to do what is right in their own eyes. You just live life with very few moral boundaries, and very likely those boundaries will change. Just give it a little bit of time. This is Corinth. Corinth, the location is in Greece, and it's on this four-mile isthmus. Now, an isthmus is a land bridge, and this is a very, very strategic spot here in Greece because everything that would go to Athens would come through Corinth. All the north-south traffic, all the east-west traffic would go right through Corinth. It's like the crossroads, like the Indiana is the crossroads of America. This is the crossroads of this region. And so it's the center of all of this trade. And the reason for that, because it's on this isthmus, like if you wanted to get from one side of Greece to the other side, you would have to sail all the way down underneath the Peloponnese. And that would add another 200 to 250 miles to your route. And the winds off that region, it was awful. There were shipwrecks all over the place. So in light of that, what they would do is they would pull their ship up to this isthmus and they would unload their cargo. Sometimes they would actually take the whole ship, bring it up onto land, and they would drag it the four miles across to the other side. Sometimes they would have a ship waiting on the other side. Just keep the supply chain moving. And so this is the center. This is the hub. This is a very, very cosmopolitan region. People are moving in here and they're making money left and right. So as a port city, that's a really kind of interesting place because as people come into this port city, they're going to spend a while because it's going to take a bit of time to get your cargo, uh, that four miles, pulling it across these rollers to the other side. And where people have time, and people have money, there's many times immorality, especially when they're away from home, when they're away from their family. That's why we have phrases like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We don't say that about Disney World, right? It's not, what happens at Disney? Nope. 
You're there with your family. But here, all these people are coming into the city, and it was just a city that is rampant with immorality. Everybody gets to do what is right in their own eyes, whatever is pleasurable to them. So as the center of trade, it's a booming city. About a half million people have moved into this region. They have all these different pagan temples. You got these different cultures. You got Greek. You got Roman. You got the the Jews who moved into this region. There were all kinds of pagan temples. Between 12 and 26 different pagan temples. You've got the temple of Apollos that is there in this region and really any city, if it's going to survive, it has to have a way to defend itself. So they would have these high places. So when you read in the Bible about a high place, that's a strategic place where everybody in the city can go and they can defend themselves. That's true of Corinth. Really set them up to have this very, very high, steep hill. It's called the Acrocorinth. And there on top of the Acrocorinth, they had a temple to Aphrodite the supposed goddess of love. And so people would make their way. The trek up the Acrocorinth, like if you're going to walk that today, it takes almost an hour to get to the top. It's a, it's a rugged kind of journey up to the top. So they would make that rugged journey, get to the temple of Aphrodite, and engage in sexual immorality. And then in the evenings, the women and the men and the young boy prostitutes would make their way down the Acrocorinth into the city. You thought it was just issues that we had. It's going on then. Now, Paul is the one who wrote this. And when Paul comes into Corinth, he is now on his second missionary journey. And just kind of reading between the lines and trying to put myself in his shoes, I would imagine that as Paul stepped into Corinth, he was pretty discouraged. Not just by what he saw, people doing whatever they want to do and people walking away from God and living in darkness. I think he was discouraged because what led up previously to this, he'd been kicked out of Philippi. He'd moved into Thessalonica and the Thessalonicans, they didn't want to hear about the good news of Jesus. They kicked him out and he goes to Berea and people in Thessalonica track him down to Berea and they're chasing him out of there. Then he goes to Athens and he spends a little bit of time at the Areopagus talking to them about who God is. And then spending just a short amount of time in Athens, he makes the 45-mile trek northwest into Corinth. And as he gets into the city, this booming city of trade, he does what he always does and he goes to the synagogue. And he goes to the synagogue to argue with the Jews to tell them that their Messiah has come. The good news is here. And as usual, The people in the synagogue, they get out of here. We don't want to hear that. We're not interested. And so Paul says, fine, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he goes right next door. I mean, literally next door to the synagogue. He goes to Titius Justice's house. And for 18 months, he shares the word of God and people come to know Jesus Christ as savior. In fact, interesting thing, that synagogue ruler at the time, his name is Crispus, he received Jesus and his whole household. And so there were a number of Greeks who received Jesus, a number of Jews who received Jesus, and they're making up this church of Corinth. And as I said, Paul ministered there for 18 months when he was done and kind of moved on. Uh, There was a gentleman by the name of Apollos. We'll read about him in a little while here as we go through this book. And Apollos became their next pastor. And I know that Paul was there around 51 AD. And the reason I can say that is I have a pretty high uh, probability because we have found some some archaeology that points to the fact of other people that Paul's interacting with being there at that specific time. And now when Paul writes this letter that we're going to read, he's writing this between 50 55 and 57 AD. And he's writing from the city of Ephesus. And as he writes this back to this church, just realize this, 
This church is wrestling with what is happening around them in the culture. They, they have not let go of the wisdom and the philosophy of their culture, and it has seeped into the church. It's like they can't detach themselves from the immorality that is all around them. And so Paul's going to say, come on, you're holy. You're holy. What are you doing acting unholy? Paul says you just can't become like a Christianized version of what you were. You can't just take the name Christian and attach it to yourself and keep living the same way that you were living before. There is something unique about Christianity where it begins to change you and transform your behavior, your attitude, your worldview, and it completes the picture. You can't just compartmentalize and say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm going to keep living like the rest of the world around me. Now, I want to say something, and I don't know if I'm going to have to say again down the road, but as, as I preach, and especially when I'm passionate about a topic, it, I, sometimes I may sound like I'm angry, like, like I'm, I'm mad at, at, at people. I'm not mad at people. I just have this conviction. Like I have this passion where I realize that there is a world system and a philosophy that is pulling at people and trying to pull them down into the pit of hell. And I'm not interested in people going to hell. And so because of that, I get like this passion on the inside. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just, I don't want you to remain in the dark. I want you to know Jesus Christ. And so don't, don't hear me being angry at a particular group of people or a certain situation. I'm angry with a world system and a Satan, an evil enemy that would come along and want to pull people away from the truth and the love and the grace and the peace of who God is. Now, here's the deal. Like, if you're joining us and you've not yet embraced Christianity, I think this is a fantastic study for you to stick around for because this is going to give you the opportunity. It's going to give you the opportunity to either accept it or just go ahead and reject it. Like, you, you are going to have all of the information at your fingertips because Paul's going to come along and he's going to say some things that we need to hear. Paul's going to say, look, you've got to be stronger than the culture around you rather than being weaker. You, like you've got to be able to be stronger than the world is calling you to be. The world would have you go a certain direction. Like you can live your life and, and you can go ahead and just appease the world and the culture and people will applaud you and say, way to go. Aren't you wonderful? Like the, the world will say you're woke, but Paul says you're actually weak. The world will say you're woke, but you're weak. You're weak if you have to live according to your feelings. You're weak if you just keep bending into the cultural flow and the sin of your own flesh. You're weak. The easiest thing to do is to cheat on your wife. The easiest thing to do is look at porn. The easiest thing to do is to walk away from your family obligations. The measure of a man isn't in how many people he can sleep with. The measure of a man is his ability to have some self-mastery. This this manliness that God calls us to is this ability not to do what's easy, but to do what's difficult and challenging. And so Paul's going to say, you're going to have to figure out a way where you can live in Corinth and still be a Christian. You're going to have to be able to find a way as a Christian to be able to push back on a culture and a world system that wants to destroy you. Like the system wants to come and just push you around 
It wants to eat your lunch. It wants to swallow you up in darkness and then just like spit out a shell of a soul. That's what the world system and the philosophy of this world is all about. And you have to find a way, Paul says, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, where you rise above the cacophony of the culture that calls you into a weakness where you just simply follow your own feelings and your own flesh. I'm telling you, this is a challenging book. And if you show up to church because you think, well, I'm going to get a spiritual fix or I'm going to feel good, oh, you're going to be miserable. (laughs) I mean, this is just challenging because Paul's going to say, forget your ego. Forget you. Just check that at the door and embrace the life of Christ. Embrace this new path that you are on walking within the kingdom of God. And again, if you're trying to figure all this stuff out, you, you've, you've got the choice. Like you, you can go ahead and keep choosing, like, I'm going to convince myself there is no God. I, I'm moving in the direction of atheism. Even though you know deep down there is a God, I'm going to find everybody else who will speak into my life that says there is no God. And I'm just going to embrace that. Uh, you can keep saying, you know what, I'm not interested in the church because the church is filled with hypocrites. I don't want to be a part of that, so I, I don't need the church. I don't want to be a part of the church. I, I really don't want to be a part of the church because when I go to the church, they judge me. When I go to church, uh, I, I just realize, man, there's a bunch of intolerance in Christianity, and I can't tolerate intolerance. Yeah. They're, 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 these people, these Christians, this is just a crutch. This is crutch. They're all weak. They believe in this guy that died on the cross. They're so narrow, so narrow in their thinking. And you can continue to throw all of that smoke screen out there and walk away. Or, or you can choose to embrace the good life, the life of Christ. Yes, it's a narrow path. Yes, yes, yes. It's challenging even as we stand up against whatever the culture or the enemy wants to throw at us. But this is the good life that we're able to embrace. This is the life of grace and peace that God gives to us. This grace, this unmerited favor, this love of God that we can step into this place of experiencing forgiveness while we were yet rebels to him. And then after that happens, just simply having this peace of knowing I have a relationship with this God and he is working through me through the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm going to do my best to preach through this book unvarnished. And for that to happen, I'm going to need your prayers. Because what I'm not going to stand up here and do is preach a cultural Christianity. Cultures change. The kingdom of God does not. And again, please, please, you know, if you're living in the world system, you got these ideas, you got these philosophies. I'm not angry with you. I would just encourage you to think with me. And I would challenge you with what you believe. So with all of that kind of behind us here, let's go ahead. First Corinthians chapter one, verse one, we'll put our feet in the starting blocks and the gun's about to go off. Paul. Let's stop there. All right, so we are not going to get through this book, like, ever. Like, Jesus will come back before we're done with 1 Corinthians. Now, I've memorized the the first word of every single one of Paul's 13 letters. I bet you know what that word is. Paul, right, yeah, from 
Paul. He's just like, hey, I'm Paul. And what's interesting is, in this culture, when you write a letter, you put your name at the top, which makes a whole bunch more sense. Like when we write a letter, dear so-and-so, and you're like, well, I know who I am. Who's writing this? So they just put it right at the top, which makes a whole bunch of sense. And he says, I'm Paul. And if you're not a believer, if you've not been in Christian world very long, you don't know who Paul is, you might think, well, this must be a really nice guy. This Paul fella maybe is a good person all of his life. He's been a Christian. Maybe he sings in a church choir. That's not Paul. Like, that's not past Paul. When you picture Paul, you need to picture a terrorist. You, you need to picture somebody who's in India right now looking to, to murder Christians or in Afghanistan, the most dangerous place for a Christian to be right now, where they're hunting them down, killing them. This is Paul. He's like, I'm going to gather some people together. I'm going to throw them in prison and I'm going to have them murdered. He wants to wipe out the Christian church. He wants to get rid of Christians. This is Paul, a murderer. And some of you are sitting here thinking, uh, Chris, you, you really don't know what I've been through, who I am, where I've been, how bad I am. And you're thinking God can't use you. But think about this. Like, has anybody in here tried to arrange for somebody's murder? Don't lift your hands because people next to you <laughs> will get a little freaked out. But that's Paul. Like, he's a disaster. He's a mess. And that gives us hope. Because God used Paul, not because of Paul, but in spite of Paul. And that means that God could use us, not because of us, in spite of us. In spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our, fe our feelings, our past, whatever our failings have been, God can still raise us up and use us. Some of you in this room, you have no idea yet the powder keg of possibility that God has on the inside of you. Not because of you. Not because you're great and not for your glory, but simply for his glory. Like young people, young people, high school students, college students, I don't know, 20s, anybody younger than 50, I guess. Like you have yet to determine and know everything that God has inside of you. Like when we look at our culture, there are people that we call influencers. And these influencers say, okay, you need to watch this person, do this thing, buy my bobble, my, my dazzly thing over here. And what they are, they're just a bunch of self-attention grabbing babies, but what would happen if we had Christian young people who were influencers, not for their namesake, but for the sake of Jesus Christ? What would happen if you became an influencer so much that you just empty yourself of self and ego and all of that stuff, and you just simply say, God, I want to be an influencer for your name and for your namesake alone. I believe that God will take someone like that who is willing to let go of everything that this world might try to dish at them, throw at them, be so soaked in the word of God and the spirit filling them that he would use them powerfully to change a generation. And you may be in this room right now. I pray to God you are. Paul's a murderer. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul is always telling people, hey, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle. But he's not doing that for self-glory. He's not saying, patting himself on the back like, hey, I'm Dr. Apostle Paul. No, he's not really interested in him. He is interested in making sure that people understand the calling that he has. He doesn't want glory for himself. He wants glory for Christ. But everywhere he goes, people are questioning him. They're questioning his authority. Who are you to tell me to live morally? 
He wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. And in order to be an apostle, Acts 1 tells us, you need to have seen the risen Christ, known his life, and been specifically, personally invited to be an apostle. And that happened for Paul. He saw the risen Lord on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. Numerous times he would have conversations with Jesus. And so when Paul says, I'm an apostle, what he's saying is, hey, I'm I'm not an independent operator here. Uh, I, I am a specifically called messenger of God, called by the grace of God. And what I give to you are the judgments of God. And so you better listen up. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I'm called by the will of God, which just points to the fact that God is sovereign and he supersedes everything. And it is his will and his way over our will and our way. And so much of our life is I want my will and I want my way and I want to have choice and I want to do this. And then you come along and you bump up into things in your life and you're like, I don't really think that I was really in charge of everything in my life. I wouldn't have invited that pain. I wouldn't have invited that hurt, that struggle. But what we find in the sovereignty and the will of God is that God leverages everything, even the hurt and the pain, for our redemption and for his glory. That there is this God who is the one who is able to explain everything that is. And all of this, Paul would say, hovers around the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to read Jesus' name four times in three verses. Jesus is the definitive person and event in all of history. And you need to figure out what you're going to do with them. So this God says, this is my son. Jesus is my son. And Jesus says, the father and I were one. Jesus would come along and he'd say, I'm God. And this God who made all things, created all things, is the one who gets to determine what reality is and what truth is. Like we don't come along as a created being and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own reality. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create my own metaverse and that is then reality for me and for everybody else. Or I'm going to create my own truth. No, reality and truth comes from the one who created reality, truth, time. And all of that is in him. And you need to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. And for some of you that would say, you know what, uh, I, I really just believe that everything is relative. Like it's a real inclusivistic kind of, you know, culture that we have. Uh, it's an all skate for everybody. Everything's fairly relative. You might come along and you'd say, all right, truth, reality, you've got your truth, right? Jesus is your truth. It's not my truth. And, and everybody's right. Every, there's all kinds of different ways to God. There's all kinds of different ways to get there. And everybody's got their truth. You've got your truth. Christians, you have your truth. And other people have their truth. And I've got my truth. No, you're wrong. There is truth. I mean, you, you can't just simply say all truth leads to God. You can't. That's not even logically possible. You can't be right and Christianity be right at the same time. It can't logically exist in the same place. Because when Jesus comes along and he says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, nobody gets to the Father except through me. And you're over here saying, well, no, there's all kinds of different ways. So what you've stood up against here is like either Jesus is right, I guess you're smarter. There's no way we can both be right. We can both be wrong. But it's not logically possible to say that all roads lead to God. That is an impossibility. The murderer Paul discovered the truth because he bumped into the one who creates reality, who made the reality, who stands over time, 
and tells us what truth is. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and, and our brother Sosthenes. Now, you, you could read that verse and you could just run right by all the meaning that is in here. Paul says, I'm, I'm not writing this letter alone. I'm writing this with our brother Sosthenes. And when people read, their, read that, they're like, ah, oh, Sosthenes. And Sosthenes knows the Corinthians because he's Corinthian. He's from this region. If you would, turn in your Bible, go back to the book of Acts. Acts. So 1 Corinthians, then you go back to the left, you get to Romans, then you get to Acts. Acts chapter 18. It kind of gives us the outline of what happened when Paul comes into the city. And so like I said, when Paul came into the city, he didn't get a real warm welcome from everybody. He goes to the synagogue and they're like, ah, we don't want to hear about this Jesus. Get, get out of here. And so as, as he leaves, this is when revival really begins to happen. And we're told that, again, the high ruler there, the Jewish ruler, Crispus, gave his life to Jesus. He received Jesus. He becomes a Christian and his whole household. And we read this in Acts chapter 18, verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Now, since the chief synagogue ruler, so you think of it like since the chief pastor, the head pastor received Jesus, they had to get another ruler of the synagogue. And do you know who became the ruler of the synagogue? Sosthenes. Sosthenes became the next person to take that role. And Sosthenes was anti-Paul. He's like, I'm not interested in Paul. I'm not interested in this gospel. And so Sosthenes gets a whole bunch of people together, like this whole mob. And he's like, hey, let's take this Paul fella out. And so they gather this mob and then they grab Paul and they take him to the, to the tribunal, to the, to the proconsul. And as they take him to the proconsul, some of us uh, who've been to Corinth, uh, we, we actually stood in front of this place where Paul was. It's called the, the Bema seat or the Bema seat. And, and as you stand there, uh, this, this place is situated in such a way that the proconsul, his name's Galileo at the time, he's sitting there and he can oversee the Agora. And the Agora are all the different shops that they had around there. And the Bema seat, the Bema seat, it's a place of commendation. Like if you did something good, it, this would be the place where you got uh, awarded. They, they had this over in Isthmia, which isn't too far away from them, where they would have the Isthmian Games. Like Olympics was the number one kind of crowd getter. The Isthmian Games were right there. And they would get commendation. They would get a wreath. They would get some form of an award after they won the race. Here's the Bema seat. You get a commendation. Good for you. Way to go. It's also a place of condemnation. So if you did something wrong, you want to bring somebody to court, you brought them to this spot, standing before Galileo, standing before the proconsul. Here's Sosthenes, and he says, this fella, this dude, Paul, he's telling people to worship God contrary to our law. Galileo, who's Gentile, just goes like, who cares? Like, look around you. We got like 26 different pagan temples. Who really cares about your stupid law? And he just dismisses it. Look, look what happens. Acts 18, verse 17. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. 
Now, every time I read this, it makes me laugh. And I'm not sure why, because that seems kind of mean, right? Like, oh, here you are, you're beating the snot out of Sosthenes. And it's just because maybe I'm thinking, well, there's Galileo. He's like, oh, they're beating him. That's cool. Anyway, right? It just kind of goes on with his life. Here's the anti-Paul movement fella just getting the snot beat out of him because he couldn't deliver on, let's get Paul beat up. Let's get him thrown out of here. And everybody walks away. And it doesn't tell us this in the scripture, but my guess is very likely Paul's standing there watching all this happening going, "Mm, not me this time, right? Like, so everybody walks away and he walks up to Sosthenes. He says, hey, Saucy. I call him Saucy. Hey, Saucy, would you like to give Jesus a try? And he does, because here writing from Ephesus, right next to him in the room, is our brother, Sosthenes. Paul has seen two Jewish religious leaders receive Jesus Christ, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Let's read on, verse 2, to the church. That Greek word there, church, that is the word ekklesia, ekklesia. Ekklesia means called out ones. And that's what we are. He's not writing to the church building. Church is not a building. To the church people, to the called out ones. That's who we are when we receive Jesus Christ. We've been called out from the world. We've been called out from the world system. And then we are called to go in to the world. We are called to be in the world, not of the world. We are called out of the world so that we might gather together as the separated people of God, receiving God's words, and then going back out into the world and sharing the good news of the kingdom as conquerors, telling people there is a new king, there is a new ruler. And here we are, businessmen, businesswomen, teachers, doctors, blue collar, white collar, where we have been called out of the world to receive Jesus Christ and then go back into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's the mission that we are on, called out ones to go into the church or into the world on mission as the church to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, you might think, you might think, I don't need the church. I don't need community. Yes, you do. You need something bigger than you because if all you have is isolation, you're going to end up corrupt. That's what we do. On our own, we all have a tendency to put ourselves on a pedestal and to make ourselves God. Like, I'm going to do everything I want to do, and I'm going to control everything, and I'm going to control everyone, and we make ourselves God. So we tend to elevate ourselves to that place, and when you move to that place, man, that's slavery, That's slavery. To elevate yourself, to put yourself as God, that is slavery, which is ironic because people in the world say, oh man, you believe the Bible? That's oppressive. I'll tell you what's oppressive. Oppressive is when you have to live as a slave to your feelings. Oppressive is when you have to live as a slave to your sin that you can't break out of. That is oppressive. And so Paul says, like, when you become a believer, you fall underneath the accountability of and the responsibility of the text of scripture. And then the church comes along to hold you accountable and say, look, you don't get to make up your own truth. You you don't get to make up your own standard of morality in whatever way you might see fit or the culture tells you to see fit. You don't get to do that because when you do that, man, it's just the church gone wild 
right? It's like debauchery and greed and idolatry and just a mess. That's what was happening then. And I'm sad to say that's what happens now to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, big word, those who have been sanctified, those who are called to be holy, sanctified, to be set apart, other than called out of the world, not to look like the world, called to live in a brand new kingdom with a brand new king. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, another important word, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, I suppose when, when you hear the word saint, maybe, maybe not. Well, when I hear the word saint, I often think about like the Catholic church and them creating a statue, right? Of a, of a saint or a medallion. And you're going you're gonna to pray to saint so-and-so. But it defines what a saint is right here. It says, those who are sanctified, set apart, those who are sanctified in Christ, who call upon the name of Christ, which means any believer, all believers, true believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are then saints. You're a saint, which is amazing, right? Because next time you introduce yourself to somebody, you can say, hey, I'm saint in your name. That ought to be an interesting conversation, right? But does that, does that feel funny? Like if you said saint and then your name? Saint Chris. I, I, I think the reason, the reason that it feels funny is because we know us. We know that we don't always act like saints. We know that Christians aren't always saints. Here's the deal. Our position in Christ is holy. But our behavior at times is unholy. And the amazing thing that I read here that just kind of like, what? is to think that he is calling the Corinthians saints. Like, that's just nuts. Like, if you've read through 1 Corinthians before, if you know where we're going and what we're going to talk about, to call them saints, that's pretty powerful. When you think about what God has done for us to hold us tightly into this position of holiness in spite of ourselves, that's just going to blow your mind as you look at what's happening in this church. He says... Grace to you and peace from God. Grace and peace. Now, grace is favor. Peace is the fruit of grace. Grace is favor. Peace is the fruit of grace. Grace, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is this wonderful gift of God who, who would see us as rebels and people who are opposed to him and yet move in our direction to give us this good gift of his grace unmerited, like we didn't earn it. Uh, we don't have anything in us, of us, where we have said, okay, God, uh, like you owe me now. We have nothing to bring. And he says, I'm going to give you my grace because you've trusted in my son, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection. I'm placing this faith in you. And now I'm giving you my grace, unmerited favor. And as a result of that grace, now we get peace. We get peace with God because we realize I'm not at odds with him anymore. He's not angry with me. I am his son. I am his daughter. And I have this relationship with the living God of the universe. He is living in me. This grace, this peace. Grace, grace is the Greek greeting. Peace is the Jewish greeting. Shalom. Grace and shalom to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. 
you got to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. You got to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. You got to figure out what you're going to do with Christianity. And for some of you, you're like, well, I'm not really interested in Christianity because when I look at Christianity, I look at the church, what I see is a whole bunch of hypocrites. And I'm not really interested in being in a group of hypocrites. So let me just say, like, if you are hung up on that part, like there's hypocrites and so you don't want to enter into Christianity, can I, can I just ask you to try something and do something? Forget them. Ignore them. Ignore their failures. Because quite frankly, a number of people in our culture who call themselves Christians and even churches within our culture are nothing more than what secularism has done to Christianity. A true spirit-filled believer has been emptied of self. Their old self-life has been overthrown and conquered by Jesus Christ. And you're going to meet a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people who are going to say, I'm a Christian. And when I meet those folks, I'm like, great, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, we'll see. Because fruit will bear that out. And when we get into heaven, it'll be really, really clear. And none of that separation of hypocrite, not hypocrite, hypocrite, not, that's not mine to do. That'll be ironed out. I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. And if I spend all my time worrying about hypocrites, if I, you spend all your time looking at other Christians to determine what Christianity is, you're going about the wrong way. You need to look to Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus Christ comes in to bring about true transformation and change, to empty you of self and ego and to fill you with his spirit. Forget those people. Don't worry about them. Look to Christ. For some of you, you might say, well, I'm not interested in Christianity because really deep down, you're afraid of losing the comfort that you have. Some of you think, man, I got too much to lose. I like what I've got going on in my life. And you think, if I keep digging a little bit here and I find out that Jesus Christ is real, well, then he's going to call me and he's going to want everything that I have, which is true. And that scares you. But the reality is you've exchanged truth for comfort. You, you've exchanged truth for kind of a, a cultural convincing of, hey, everybody's okay. Everything's all right. You do right in your own eyes. You just be good, good enough in whatever way you kind of have to find that and you will be fine. But again, you're exchanging comfort for truth. And it might feel good on this side of the sod, but on the other side of eternity, that's not reality. What I'm telling you is grace and shalom, grace and peace are available to you. And this world, the philosophy of this world, it doesn't offer that. It offers no grace. It offers no peace. And you know it. You've seen it. You've seen the outcomes. Sin promises, never delivers. Grace and peace are available to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, transform me, transform us. We realize that there is a world system, a philosophy, there's a tug at our heart 
There's a siren call from this world that would call to us and woo us from you and the sincerity and truth of your word and the power of your spirit. And I pray that we'd be the kind of people who we don't look just simply to walk out into this world without you, but we would walk into your kingdom and then we walk into this world with the truth and the light and the grace and the peace that you have given to us to walk back as conquerors in Jesus Christ and we would see lives transformed and changed. But you have to start with us. Would you sanctify us? Would you set us apart for your good name? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.